Uh, would somebody like to pray for us? As Judy's coming up, if you want to grab a Bible, now would be a good time to do so. Heavenly Father, would you lift the scales from our eyes and unstop our ears. Give us teachable spirits that we would not lean on our own understanding and that we would hear what you are teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks. We're going to be considering the second pathway to becoming emotionally healthy spiritually. And this pathway is called going back in order to go forward. Being able to work through things that have happened to us in our past, our family stories, the things that have shaped us and made us perhaps more often than we would like uh, struggle and wonder. Uh, and going back to those with God in order that we might live into the future and the purposes that God has for us. Last week we looked at David and knowing yourself while knowing God and how pivotal that was for David to be able to fulfill the will of God against Goliath. And today we'll look at, that, look at it from a new way and how Joseph was able to do the will of God because of this work that he did with God. Now, last fall, I went to a conference and I heard um, the, an apprentice gathering, and I heard this guy talking about the kingdom of God in a very uh, beautiful way to me, and it's kind of shaped the way that I view preaching. And so I want to share it with you today, because I think as we go through this series, um, we have to understand that this is all about invitation and choosing, uh, God's invitation to us and our choice to go deeper with him. And so he was talking about how scripture... When we spend time with scripture, we find ourselves moving further and further into the kingdom of God. As the teachings of Christ, as the teachings of the Holy Spirit and God, our Father, become the things that shape us and live inside of us in, in powerful ways. As they become part of who we are, we find ourselves moving further and further into the kingdom of God. We become people of faith. And we find ourselves moving into the kingdom of God, but then building that life with God, we move further in and further up into the beauty that is knowing ourselves and having Christ come to dwell within us. And so I pray now for myself, not only may your kingdom come, Lord, but may your kingdom come in me. May your kingdom come in me in such a way that I am finding myself deeper into your kingdom and how you want me to live and be and who I am in you and who you are in me. And so I see preaching, because it's all centered on the word, right, as an invitation to you, a picture to you of what going further into the kingdom of God could look like. An invitation not to come to faith, but an invitation of ways in which you can walk with Christ through his spirit, further into God's purposes for you. So remember with this series, the invitation is not to address all seven pathways tomorrow, but to sit with God and ask God which of those he would like you to go further into next. 
So we're going cursory overview here. So last week, know yourself that you may know God. This week, go back in order to go forward. And to do that, we're going to be looking at about a quarter of the book of Genesis. So we aren't going to read it all, (laughs) I promise, because I would not be able to say anything else if we did that. Um, But we're going to look at the story of Joseph, and I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of the story. And we're going to read a couple of passages in particular, one of which is on your worship folder and one of which is not written on your worship folder. But I'll tell you when we're there. So many of us know the story of Joseph. But it's important for us to take a moment to think about this fact that uh, generations, our family of origin, they shape us. And so if you look at Genesis, there's some themes of family problems that show up in the line of Joseph. So we start with Joseph and we'll work our way backwards. Joseph has, he's one of 12 brothers. Uh, in their family, there's sibling rivalry, right? Because Joseph is the favored, favored son of Jacob. There's lying to one another. His, his brothers lie to their father about what happens to Joseph. Uh, Jacob, their father, has uh, more than one wife and uh, a relationship with women that produces children. And so we know that there's some unhealthy dynamics at play there because he favors the sons that he favors because of who their mother is. And so there's unhealthy relationships among the parents. So we have three key things. We've got lying. We've got sibling rivalry. We've got unhealthy marriages in Joseph's family of origin. Now we look at Jacob's family, right? Jacob and Esau, what do we have? Sibling rivalry. What do we have? Lying. What do we have? An unhealthy marriage. Because Jacob's parents lied to one another because of favoritism again. Then we look. Who's Jacob's father? Isaac. We look at Isaac's generation. What do we have? An unhealthy marriage? As lying... Is part of their story. We've got rivalry between Ishmael and Isaac that leads to bad things for the family. Three generations of unhealthy marriage, lying, and sibling rivalry. Three generations where that story continues to be the shaping agent of how they live together. So it's no surprise that it's a strong narrative and Joseph's family. Now, Joseph doesn't help his case, does he? Joseph likes being the favored one. Joseph uh, gets a coat from his father that sets him apart from his other brothers. And even though Joseph is the youngest, the coat sets him apart as one with authority in the family. And Joseph, uh, whether it's naivety, I don't really know, but Joseph shares this dream these dreams that he has about his position of authority with his brothers. And you've got to think to yourself, like, this is only going to make things worse, like egg them on, right? Because the dreams are about his brothers bowing down to him as wheat sheaves and as stars in the sky. So his brothers hate him. They are angry that Joseph is who he is. It reaches the point where 
Joseph's literally the last thing on earth they ever want to be around. So one day they're all out in the field and Joseph comes towards them and they see him coming from far off and they, find, they decide that they're going to do something about this favored son of their father. And they decide that they're going to kill him. And they decide to kill him in not just like a nice way, but in a way in which Joseph will suffer because they, they decide to throw him in a well that's empty of water, that's too deep for Joseph to get out of, and to leave him there to rot, to starve, to suffer. And by the, great, by the work of God, I would say, though he doesn't claim it, one of the brothers says, well, let's not, let's not, let's not kill him. Let's instead sell him to be a slave in Egypt. So Joseph gets human trafficked. And as he loses his place of belonging, as he loses his family, as he loses his culture, as he loses his freedom, Joseph loses all of those things because of what his brothers have done to him. And even if he is the favored son, there is nothing that he could have done to have deserved this act from his siblings, right? Like, it's anger and guilt and fear that are controlling them that caused them to do this thing to him. So Joseph goes, loses all of his freedom, becomes a slave in Egypt. He works in this family's house. Uh, the wife comes on to him. He says no. He rejects her. She becomes angry. She tells the story that Joseph was trying to take advantage of her instead of the other way around. She uses her power and authority, and she gets Joseph thrown into jail where he rots in prison now. So he's gone from a well to a prison. And this isn't prison like we have nowadays, right? Like, it's worse. And he spends, we don't know how long there, but he spends years. And none of us would judge Joseph if while he was there, the anger and resentment towards his brothers who put him there would have grown. Because all of the bad things that have happened to him have resulted from this thing that his brothers did to him for his destruction. But while Joseph is in prison, he has dreams again. He can interpret dreams again. It's that knowing yourself and knowing God peace. And so we get this hint that not, Joseph is not spending his time festering, but that Joseph is spending his time with God. One of the commentators this week described Joseph, Joseph's story in Genesis as the story of the Psalms in action. As a man who is trapped, but who is seeking the will of God. As a man who is attacked, but is trusting his future to God. As a man who is down in the valley of despair and can only cry out to God because he is alone. And so there comes this point where Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret, and he hears about this guy that's in the prison that can. And by the gifts of God and the skills of God that Joseph has continued to know and be in and practice, he interprets the dream for Pharaoh, and it's about a famine that's coming in the land. And so Pharaoh puts him into a position of power so that he can prepare the whole land of Egypt for this famine. And he does so. And the famine, oh, and the reason why we know he's been working this stuff out with God 
is he has, he gets married and he has kids. And in chapter 41 of Genesis, towards the end of that chapter, verses 40, 51 and 52, Joseph has two sons and he names the firstborn Manasseh, which is from the Hebrew word for forget. And he says, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The second he named Ephraim, which is a a play on the word fruitful, twice fruitful. And he said, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. So it's clear, it's clear by what Joseph names his children that he has been talking to God about these things that have happened to him. And he has reached a point where with God, he has decided to not be controlled by them. Which is what I think he means when he says, God has let me forget. Because we know he doesn't literally forget what happened. But he's able to say, that is not going to be the thing that hangs above me. That is not going to be the thing that shapes my identity. That is not going to be the thing that controls what I do, how I do it, or why I do it. Because God has made me realize that that was not his purpose for those things. So he can look back and see the freedom that God has brought to him in order to look forward and see the call and the purpose that God is giving him. Because he describes it as being fruitful. His first son is named about that thing in the past and his next son is named about going forward to be used by God. To do God's work. God has made me fruitful in the land of my misfortunes. Pretty cool, hey? Yeah. All right. So the, the famine hits the whole area. And even in the land of Canaan where... Oh, and by the way, uh, he's the favorite son of his father, right? And so the, the brothers tell the dad, even though they know it's not true... The brothers tell the dad that Joseph is dead as their way of kind of handling the situation. But for them, the guilt of what they've done just hangs in the air. And they know that the dad, that Jacob, is the only thing that connects them to Joseph. And the the love that Jacob has for Joseph. So the, the famine hits. Jacob hears that Egypt has food for people. So... Joseph sends his sons down to get food. They don't know Joseph when they see him. But Joseph knows who they are. And now here's the thing. Joseph doesn't handle the first meeting very well. Like he's worked it out with God, but he's finding out that there's more to work out with God. Right? How many of us have been in those situations where we think we've got something figured out and handled and we feel in a good place and then something triggers it and we're like, whoa, okay, God, I see the next step. We weren't done, right? This is what happens with Joseph because he, he sees his brothers coming towards him. He remembers his dream about his brothers bowing down before him and he tries to make it come true. He accuses them of being spies. So he forces them to beg, making them bow down, right? He forces them to beg for their lives. So Joseph tries to take control and do the thing from the dream, right? 
Well, long story short, they bring all the brothers down. Joseph plants a cup, uh, something really valuable in one of the bags. It doesn't, it's, it's ugly. It's not good. And the, the brothers are all pleading because they can't leave Benjamin, who's now become the favored son of Jacob. They can't leave Benjamin there, and that's what Joseph is telling them that they have to do. And so they finally say to him, and now we're going to read from chapter 45. And that's on page 33 of your green Bibles. The brothers say, we can't leave Benjamin here. It'll kill our father. Like, we cannot do that to him. Because they know they've already done it once to him. They can't do it again. The the guilt of what they've done hanging on them. I fear to see the suffering that would come upon my mother, my father, they say. And then in verse 45, I mean, chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one who, so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So he kicked out all of the Egyptians and it was just him and his brothers. And he wept so loudly. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? See, it really is the father that connects them, right? The bringing up of the father is what leads him to realize he's been going down the wrong way of handling it. That leads him to clear the room so that they can tell the truth to each other. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. So dismayed were they at this idea that their brother could still be alive after the awful things that they had done to him. They're terrified. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and so to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph has been able to work what happened to him out with God, separate from the other people involved, in such a way that he is able to say to the people who hurt him, to the people who wanted to see him dead, to the people who have not sought forgiveness for what they did, who have not experienced any sort of justice for what they did, he is able to say to them, I am here to bless you. That is only the work of God. Amen? Only the work of God. 
able to work out forgiveness apart from getting from those who have hurt us. That is the work of going back in order to go forward. So Joseph has this epiphany moment of understanding how all of this stuff is coming together. Of looking back to see how God was at work in all of those circumstances. And his brothers are not there yet. Right? They can't receive this because they're at a different point in their journey of reconciliation as a family. So I take some hope from that. That we all don't have to move through the stages of being reconciled at the same time. But we can work with God and trust the big picture to him and the opportunities to him. Because the whole family comes down and they survive. So they they take the blessing even if they're not fully worked out on their guilt yet, right? Because then they live there for years. But the thing that holds the family together, Jacob, the thing that the brothers feel is standing between them and Joseph, between them and what they deserve or what they feel like they deserve is Jacob. And at the end of Genesis, Jacob dies. So we read now on page 37 from chapter 50 at verse 15. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? Still controlled by fear and guilt that they can't even believe the words of promise and truth that Joseph has already given to them about this. How many of us know that feeling? When we've been reassured that we are forgiven, and yet we still carry the guilt and the shame because we haven't worked out what we've done for ourselves with God, right? Or what's happened to us with God. So they approached Joseph saying, and now they lie again, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. So they use their their father and the love that Joseph and Jacob have for one another. And then they say, now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. And again, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are your slaves. And so the dream that God gave Joseph before all of this stuff happens comes true. A picture that God gave to Joseph of this moment before all of the hardship, before all of the sins, before all of the struggles God has made happen. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, 
in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. And in this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? See, Joseph has reached a point of being able to say, yes, you did wrong, but I am not the one in charge of making sure you get the right punishment for that. I am not God. I can leave the sins transgressed against me to the Lord. For he has healed me from them. And so they are now his. His. To carry. And to seek justice. And execute just judgment on. I am not God. I have given. My cares. To the Lord. They are his now. To do with as he pleases. And we know that story, don't we? For the Lord took upon all of those cares, all of those sins, those we commit and those that are committed against us. He took upon them all on the cross, proclaiming forgiveness, inviting to the work of healing and restoration all of his beloved This is the meal of going back in order to go forward. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and gave it to his disciples, telling them that it was his body that was going to be given for them, that was given for them. For the complete forgiveness, the complete forgiveness of all of the sins, Of his people. The complete forgiveness. The invitation to a life with Christ. Going deeper into the kingdom of God in such a way that you come to understand what that means for you. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he told his disciples, This is the cup of the new covenant shed in my blood. Drink from it, all of you. That invitation to a new way of living. That invitation to a new family of origin. That invitation to a new set of patterns and ways to live in this world. The ways and the patterns of Christ, our brother and our savior. And so this meal is our meal of saying to God, you are bigger than all of the things that have happened to me in the past. In fact, you are bigger than them because you took them and what we offered, which was evil and harm and damage and sin, and you said, nope, we're going to turn that for the good of my people. So going back to go forward is to look for the ways in which God has worked for your good through and in spite of all the things that you have done and have been done to you.
and then to celebrate and to say, yes, I choose. In response to your invitation to let you take me as I am and summon out what shall be. To set your seal upon my heart so that I can live as though you were living in me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we come to this, your table, we come with gratitude in our hearts to know that you are still in the business of healing and restoration and forgiveness and mercy. And so we pray that as we take this bread, we will offer back to you the things of our past that are keeping us from living in closer communion to you and with one another. Holy Spirit, as we, as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, may we sense you and Christ's presence in them and in us. That we take from you in order to live and be sustained and have life and purpose and to move forward. That this is a time to be nourished in our reflection of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we pass the bread, we're going to take our time of silence during it. And then as we pass the cup, when you're ready, we'll join in song uh, in our course, uh, committing ourselves to this work of Christ. So I'll have the elders and the deacons who are serving to come forward. So as you spend time passing the plates, uh, spend time in reflection and ask, ask for God to be at work to help you go forward in order, I mean, go backwards to, in order to go forward.
take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. In this meal, God teaches us that we need not wait for forgiveness to be sought to work through and seek healing and restoration for ourselves. For Jesus did not wait for us to seek forgiveness, but instead chose to do what he did so that we might be healed.
I shed the earth, the blood of Christ shed the earth on me. The blood of Christ shed for you, Bob. The blood of Christ shed for you, Judy. Take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is the seal that has been set upon our hearts as Christ lives within. Now to him who is able to do more than we could ever imagine or believe, to him be the glory and the power now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing our song of response, a trust to God, and you can pass your cups to the end of the aisles.
Amen. So as we go uh, out, we trust, we trust, we trust. And we respond to an invitation for God to bring the kingdom in. To seek the healing and the freedom from the guilt and the things that are haunting us from the past. So that we might be fruitful into the future with him and for what he wants to do with us and for us and through us. All right? So there's no good place to do announcements in church. uh, But we're going to do a few announcements right now. There's no other segue I can do. So... The first announcement is that there is a fun event coming our way, Fat Friday, uh, Faith and Family Night at the hockey game. Uh, Tickets available before the event at Neighborhood Church and at the door on the night of the event. The the tickets are $5 for each adult ticket, or $5, sorry, I I said that wrong, $5 from each adult ticket purchase goes to Loaves and Fishes Community Food Bank, and it's usually a pretty well-attended hockey game, so we hope you'll join us for that. On Saturday, the men's breakfast is meeting, February 6th, ABC Restaurant North at 8 a.m. And the guest speaker will be our chair of council, Don Campbell, and he'll be giving a transition team update at that meeting for everyone, or men there. Uh, The third is that the seniors invite you to their Valentine's luncheon on Friday, the 12th, at 11.30 a.m. in the downstairs lounge. Soup will be provided, and you're asked to bring a dessert to share. And then on, in two weeks, on Sunday, February 14th, after the worship service, we'll be having an hour-long uh, refugee workshop helping us to think of what it might be like to be a refugee newly arrived to Canada. And, it, and we'll be hearing about opportunities to serve that community, and in particular, an Eritrean family that our deacons helped to sponsor to come Uh, with Neighborhood Church. So we hope that you'll be at that event. And if you have any questions about it between now and then, you can speak with Eleanor Sinclair because I will be on vacation. So you cannot talk to me. Uh, And we didn't pray for Eric Nordstrom. I think I forgot him in our congregational prayer, but he is also at home recovering from surgery, from gallbladder surgery. So if you think of him, please do pray as well for his continued recovery. All right. Uh, he's finding out when the surgery will be this week, I think. it's You're going to have it, have it. Okay, I thought you were just getting it to find out when you were going to have it. All right. So Eric Burton will be having an ear placement, so we won't see him for a, few, a little while as he's recovering from that. So uh, wish him well and uh, pray that that goes well. All righty. So the Lord, who we can entrust all of these things, who we can entrust with our past, our present, our future, with one another, says, truly, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of the saints, now and forever. Amen.